Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. João 9, verso 1 até o verso 41. Jesus cura um cego de nascença. Ao passar, Jesus viu um cego de nascença. Seus discípulos lhe perguntaram, Mestre, quem pecou, este homem ou seus pais para que eles nascessem cego? Jesus disse, nem ele nem seus pais pecaram, mas isso aconteceu para que a obra de Deus se manifestasse na vida dele. Enquanto é dia, Precisamos realizar a obra daquele que me enviou. A noite se aproxima, quando ninguém pode trabalhar. Enquanto estou no mundo, sou a luz do mundo. Tendo dito isto, cuspiu no chão, misturou terra com saliva e aplicou aos olhos do homem. Então lhe disse, vá lavar-se no tanque de Siloé, que significa enviado. O homem foi, lavou-se e voltou-se vendo. Jesus seus vizinhos e os que anteriormente o tinham visto, mendigando, perguntaram, Não é este o mesmo homem que costumava ficar sentado mendigando? Alguns afirmavam, era ele. Outros diziam, não, apenas se parece com ele. Mas ele próprio insistia, sou eu mesmo. Então, como foram abertos seus olhos, interrogaram eles. Eles responderam, o homem foi chamado Jesus, misturou terra com saliva, colocou-a nos meus olhos e me disse que fosse lavar-me em Siloé. Fui, lavei-me e agora vejo. Eles lhe perguntaram, onde está esse homem? Não sei, disse ele. Thank you, Roberta, for uh, the reading of today's passage. If you're wondering that whole time what language she was speaking, that's Portuguese. And uh, we celebrate that because we actually have a large Portuguese-speaking um, uh, group that comes to Slate Church, and every week we do Portuguese translation. So if you're like, man, I feel like I'm on the outs right now. Well, in some ways, that's how they feel most Sundays as they're getting the translation. Um, but I was going to come up here and say something in Portuguese and make you believe that the whole message is going to be that way, but I just... I'm not a linguist. The one, the one subject I almost failed in high school is my own, my own language, English. So um, just kind of ironic when you become a pastor and half of what you do seems to be speaking in front of people. But um, it's so good to see you. And we are in our fourth week of Lent. And uh, we're, we're approaching Easter like quite quickly. I can't believe how close we are. Um, the proximity to Easter is reminding me that like I'm ready for the snow to be gone. Anybody with me? I'm going to say a special prayer this morning. Um, but uh, today we're in the fourth uh, week of Lent, and we're going to be talking through this story that many of us maybe have heard before, maybe some of us haven't. And we're going to walk through it and the significance of what's going on, because there's a number of like theological questions that are um, underpinning this entire narrative, as well as some interesting questions that are brought up. For instance, uh, the disciples ask... Um, to Jesus. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus goes, neither this man or his parents sinned, 
But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. I mean, there's a bit of a question there, isn't there? Where, like, so does Jesus, like, let bad things happen to good people so that he can be glorified? Like, what's actually happening in this passage? There's a number of things. Jesus spits, and that's how he chooses to um, wash the, or, or, or uh, open the eyes of this blind man. And so we're going to walk through some of it. Uh, I might not touch on all of it, but there's a lot of significant things happening. And what does this mean for us as we progress towards uh, the remembrance of Jesus' death and his resurrection? And uh, what does it mean for us as Christians? We'll answer those questions hopefully in a moment, but why don't we pray first? Jesus, thank you so much that we get to come into this space. Father, we are thankful that, um, that you brought us here safely. We are thankful that uh, we woke up this morning and, and we had something to eat. We're thankful that we had the health to come to this place today. Father, as we have an opportunity and have had an opportunity to worship you um, and now have an opportunity to worship you, Father, in, in, uh, in, in reading your word and discovering more about who you are, God, we pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would um, just allow us to know who you are um, in a deeper way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we haven't met, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Emma, and it's really good to, to see you and uh, to have you here today. So if we haven't met, make sure you introduce yourself at some point in, uh, in the lobby. And, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, the, the message today, and in many ways, it's a message um, of first responders, people that respond to the goodness of Jesus in a variety of different ways. Um, I'm, I'm not a first responder. We have some first responders in the room today. Um, but I remember being at uh, Canada's Wonderland one day, and we were there with our, with our crew, our staff, and some of the interns. We were celebrating uh, the interns at the end of their summer. And this was for the interns, because for the rest of us that are on staff, we're not that old, but I can already tell that I'm aging, because uh, Wonderland is an awful place for adults. Like, it's just like, I don't know who designed this or who thought it would be a good idea to have things that smush your brain around as you try to have fun. Um, but we were like there, like, you know, doing this for the interns. We're like, okay, we'll show up. And in reality, all of us as staff, staff left early and left the interns with Pastor Ben. Uh, and we're like, we're just out of here. We went shopping and uh, we're like, they can destroy their brains. We don't care, but we're not doing this anymore. But it was a really hot day, and uh, it's in the middle of the summer, and you've got all these kids because they're all on summer break, and we're waiting in these long lines. Like, we showed up, and we're like, let's just go to the best ride to start, so that way when we leave in, like, 20 minutes from now, um, we'll be able to say we, have, we stayed for longer than that. Don't worry. Um, we didn't completely abandon the, the interns, and again, Ben is the most responsible staff member, so he was there in good hands. But... We're like, let's go to the best ride first, and we did that. We, like, went into the park, and we immediately went to some ride that had, it's blue. And uh, so we went there, and uh, it's really high. Somebody else is like, I know that ride. Um, calm down. I, I don't care what the name is. Uh, I really don't want to remember this too much. I'm trying to get to a point here. Okay. So we, we go to this line, and, like, we had just showed up to the park, so did everybody else. We ran to this line just to be like, let's get it done first. Let's get it done quick. And we're waiting in this line for like an hour and a half. And already at the time in the morning, the sun is beating and people are already getting a little delirious. And in the midst of all of this, there's this young girl beside us. I don't know. She must have been between the, the grades of like grade seven and, and grade nine, somewhere in there. And all of a sudden we kind of look over and she just kind of like wobbles and all of a sudden, we're like, well, like let's, 
that's a cool move. And she like kind of wobbles and all of a sudden just falls back and smashes her head on the pavement. Just out. Like completely out. And uh, we're all kind of sitting there like, what's, what's, what's happening? You know, like everybody's just looking and there's, every, you know, the, the, the collective like, <gasps> you know, and I didn't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a first responder. Braden wasn't there with me. He didn't tell me what to do. But I was like, I think like people can, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I think people can like swallow their tongues. So I'm like, I like run over there and I'm like opening up this young girl's mitt. She's like out. And then all of a sudden she comes to and just starts seizuring. And I'm like, now I'm freaked out, but I'm like, I've got to do something, you know, like, and I might be making the situation worse, but I'm like doing something. So I'm like, open up her mouth. Like, I'm like, do I put my hand in there? Like trying to turn, turn her head to the side. I'm like, I don't, I didn't do a CPR course. I've got four kids. They're just like, by the grace of God, still living. I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, I just have to do something. And so I move her head and all of a sudden she just kind of comes to, and then she kind of stands up and she's like, what happened? And her sister and her brother and whoever else was with her were like, man, like, this is the craziest thing that happened. And everybody else is just watching. They're all, like, talking, like, did you see that? Our, our, our team is like, like, man, like, you're going to get sued if you do the wrong thing, you know? Like, anyway, that's not how they responded. And then all of a sudden, the mom comes along um, because likely one of the siblings had called, called her. And she shows up, and um, uh, she's like, what happened? And and so I, we, we tried to, like, explain to her what had happened. She's like, that didn't happen. And uh, we're like, okay. <laughs> You're right. Your, your daughter just, like, was just putting on a show for everybody else. We have some entertainment. This line is way too long. We all want to go home. It was a lot of fun. She's like, it didn't happen. And, her, and, the, and the siblings are like, yeah, it did happen, Mom. Like, she, she was seizure. She's like, that didn't happen. And, and, and the siblings are like, okay. And they're like, ask him. And I'm like, seriously, like, like your, your daughter had, like, got knocked out. She was seizuring. And, that, like, you should probably take care of her. And she's like, she's fine. And, like, kind of, like, just kept her going. And I, I was just like, I remember going home from this whole experience. And I'm like, that's another reason to not want to go to Wonderland. Like, I already had an reasons. There's another reason. But, it, but it's interesting because I, like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say my response was good. In fact, Braden's going to school me afterwards and be like, don't do that. Don't do this. You actually, like, you're making this situation. You could have been sued. Like all these. I'm not saying I, I, I was right. But, but it's interesting when things happen in our world, the different responses that come to a series of events that we walk through. And, and this, is, this is kind of like the collective, the collective human experience, that when we all experience the same thing, we all have a different take on what's actually happening in the moment, right? We all look at this from a different um, perspective. And if a situation is going on for a long time, uh, we all take our time to actually kind of work through uh, situations, the way that we're thinking about it intellectually or spiritually. And we have more time to sit with this thing. But there's a number of situations in our lives where they happen in a moment. And we don't, we're not given the, the, the um, grace to be able to work through it over the course of time. But we, we have an initial response. And it kind of says something about what's happening in Internally. I, I remember we grew up in Coburg, Ontario, and uh, my dad would always come to St. Saint, Saint Clement's of all places. This is where Danny, my friend, lives. He was, I'm not going to get into that again. I can't believe. Anyway, I, anyway, Danny, we're glad that you're here. We're sorry that you're in St. Clement's. But anyway, if you're here for a previous day, you'll know what I'm talking about. But anyways, he would go to these puck and ball tournaments in St. Clement's, and this is where uh, their team would play a series of baseball games and a series of hockey games. They'd collect the points, and at the end of the day, whoever had the most collective points would win. The Mennonites would always win, and my 
dad's team would go home all sad and all the rest. And I just remember one particular time, like uh, we had this brand new van and I was in there and my dad had a Tim Hortons coffee and I accidentally knocked it over. And I just let it like stay knocked over in the van and I ran out of the van. I'm like, dad, like the coffee's knocked over. And he's like, well, what did you do? And I'm like, nothing. And he's like, why didn't he? He's like, has this big moment with me. Dad, do you know this moment? And um, like, there's this big moment. He's like, why didn't you pick up the coffee? And I'm like, I didn't even think to do it. Like, and he's like, well, why didn't you think to do it? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm trying to justify it. I'm like, dad, like, I can't do something I didn't think to do. And he's like, I'm really just wondering why my son wouldn't think to do this, you know? And this big moment, like, what is our response to these moments? Now, now these are like, I mean, maybe not the girl seizuring on the ground. That's, that's pretty significant. But maybe this, this idea of the coffee is pretty trivial to you. In reality, the situation of this man who was born blind and is now healed is not very trivial, is it? This is a man who, from birth, has been blind. And all of a sudden, this rabbi walks by and does something very strange. He spits in some dirt. And I think sometimes we're reading devotionally and we're just like trying to get, you know, marked off on our Bible reading plan, we read these things, and we don't call them into question. Jesus, what are you doing? What? You spit on the ground. Like, there's got to be something in the ancient Near East about this being unclean or whatever else. And, and meanwhile, like, like, it's kind of interesting. It's not. There was a lot of magicians going around saying their spittle, their, their spit, their saliva actually had magical powers. And yet they would never do anything. Like these magicians would come around and they'd be like, let me spit on you. And it's like it sounds ridiculous until we ourselves get caught up in these like scams and all the rest of these things in our world today. It's like it is ridiculous. But Jesus comes along, and he's not just making a statement about who he is. He's making a statement about the world's ways in which they handle things. And he's saying, listen, what they are unable to do, I am able to do. Why? Well, we'll answer that question in a moment. But he spits on the ground. He creates this mud. He puts it on the eyes of this man, born blind, and says, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And he does this because he says, listen, uh, you, you need to go do this. This, this pool, um, the meaning of the word um, actually meant sent. And here we have the sent one sending this individual to the pool that is sent. Now, the entire thing is a, is a uh, 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 I was going to say a lyrical way of saying, uh, but that wouldn't be right. And that would be my, um, my grade 10 English coming through again, <laughs> where I'm constantly making up words and I'm convinced on my 60th birthday, Emma's going to hand me a little um, journal. And this journal is going to say Brandon's Dictionary. And uh, within this Brandon's Dictionary, I'm going to open it up. And there's going to be about a thousand words I made up while I was speaking over the course of my time pastoring. But anyway, I'm looking forward to that present. Um, this, is, uh, this is a literary way. This is a literary way of essentially John who penned this gospel saying, listen, the one who was sent is the healer of the world. This is the one everybody's look, been looking for. The sent one is sending this person to the sent pool. This is the one that has been sent into the world, and he is the one that is here to heal the world. He's the, world, he's the one that the world has been expecting. And so the man goes on his way, and, and he's healed. It's, um, when, when you look deeper into this passage, um, the reality of the passage becomes very clear. In some ways, when we read this passage, um, we can read it at such a surface level that we think this is a passage about simply Jesus healing somebody 
And all of a sudden, somebody return, being uh, in return receiving healing and us celebrating the miracle working power of God, which I don't know about you, but I, I celebrate in my life. I still believe that God is a miracle working God. Amen? Amen. Amen. But in many ways, if we are not careful, we can fly over this passage and not realize that this passage in and of itself is demanding something of us as the reader. And what is it demanding of us as the reader? It's demanding a response to the goodness of Jesus Christ. It's demanding a response to the person of Jesus Christ. It's demanding a response of the deity of the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because while we could uh, reduce this story to a story of a, a man who received physical healing, in reality what we are looking at is the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. The spiritual blindness of the religious people. The spiritual blindness of those who believed they understood God in his fullness. And the relatively uh, ignorant uh, real, ignorance that they had to their own reality that they were more blind than the person that was born blind. And I was reading in one commentary and it kind of disturbed me. And I, you know, I think about it, I was thinking about it and I'm like, man, it's, it's just such a warning. But in one commentary, uh, the, the, the commentator um, just had these words to say. He said, um, there are many theologians that, that will find themselves in hell. And it's a statement that it's like, it's like what? what, what, what? Ah, like, I don't, I don't know. And, and I think maybe the reason it disturbed me so much is because we rely on theologians. Like, like as a pastor, I rely on commentaries. I rely on theologians to tell me the deeper meaning of Scripture. And what this commentator was, was trying to get at is that it is entirely possible to know so much about who God is and think we have an entire grasp on who God is and yet miss out on the very person and reason why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus says in verse 5 of chapter 9, he says, I am the light of the world. This is one of seven I am statements that we'll find in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And all of these I am statements are trying to point us to a deeper reality that Jesus is the one that the world is looking for. And we have a, we have a responsibility to respond to who Jesus is. The contrast between a man born blind and the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees is not something that we get the luxury of reading about within our Bible, but it's a reality that confronts us here and today as we sit in these pews. How many of us gawk at the world's blindness and yet we fail to realize that the very things that Jesus came to transform within ourselves aren't being transformed sometimes day to day, week to week, month to month, and year to year? See, the, the gospel of Jesus demands more than just an ascent to knowing who he is. It demands a transformation inside of us. And not a transformation that is willed by the human willpower, but something that is transformed because of the reality of Jesus Christ washing over us and us now becoming new people. The same reality of waters washing over the physical blind man is something that we as spiritual people have to allow the water. Um, he, sa he says, I am I am, uh, I am the resurrection, the life. I am the truth and the life. We have to allow that to wash over us in order to see the world that God has prepared for us, the, the life that God has prepared for us. It's interesting because in the, um, in the contrast between the physical blindness and the spiritual blindness, we see that there's actually a progression 
that this physically blind man goes through. And this progression is um, obviously something that we expect out of every other aspect of our lives. I've recently gone back to the gym um, after, like I, like I always have a reason why I have like, reason, like times I don't go to the gym, right? Uh, last night at hockey, somebody's like, oh, are you still training for that, that triathlon? And I'm like, ah, you know, like I got shin splints. I'm just like letting them rest, you know? And they're like, well, how long, you know, have you been resting? I'm like, well, like a month, you know, it's just, just making sure, you know, I've just been like sitting, you know, propping my legs up, just making sure they're okay. Um, progression happens in all areas of our life. And if we're not continually allowing God to work on us, we're probably um, digressing rather than progressing through this life. What's interesting is that this man who was, <clears throat> this man who was healed from his physical blindness goes through a series of stages in his own revelation about who Jesus is. He first gets asked this question in chapter 11. They say, like, who is, who's the person that healed you? That the Pharisees are really interested in what happened to this man. Say, who, who's this man that, that healed you? And the first response that this man gives that was healed, he says, the man that they call Jesus. Okay, so that's his first understanding about this man. Um, later on, it says that they bring him back and they go, no, 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 we want to question you a little bit more. In verse 17, he continues to expand on his understanding. You can tell he's had a little bit of time to sit with what's happened to him. And they say, who do you say that he is? And so this man who is born blind but now physically healed says, well, I, I, I believe he is, he's a prophet. At this point, the religious people are a little upset because they're going, no, no, like, like listen, we don't like this guy. We don't want to like what he's doing to our status. We don't like what he's doing to the people that we're trying to lead. We don't like what's going on here. You can't call him, a, call him a prophet. They kind of send him away. Well, a second time they bring him back and they ask once again, and they start to question him and wonder, like, what's actually, what has actually happened in your life? And in verse 33, he responds, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's saying, listen, I believe this, this, this man is from God. Jesus enters this man's story once more in this passage later on. And Jesus begins to walk with him and, and starts to discuss with him what has happened. And later on, after Jesus says, I am uh, the, the light of the world, the man starts to proclaim his own belief in Jesus. And he says, Lord, I believe. Lord, Lord I believe. You know, this starts with this idea that this man only knows this guy based on his name. He, he says, his name is Jesus. He's the one that they call Jesus. Later on, he's proclaiming he's a prophet. And later on, he says, listen, I think he was actually sent by God. But another interaction with who Jesus is and what we actually begin to see is that this man starts to realize that Jesus is who he proclaims to be and that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ that he's been looking for. And all of a sudden, the truth of Jesus begins to wash over him, there's this progression of belief in who Jesus is. Now, the reason I mention this is because, again, this is, a, this is something that happens inside of each and every one of us. But it's something, if we don't take stock of, can often lead us to a place of just frustration or, or doubt in our own experience of who God is. Because sometimes we expect that we'll come to a full knowledge in all of the different areas of our life of what God is up to. And the reality is, is that we are all progressing through what we, not, 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 not just what we believe about Jesus, but our experience of how God is working in our world today. I think um, progression is something that um, we as a family are experiencing uh, our, ourselves. You know, having kids that are so close together, you still see that within a, a few short years, 
from one another. They're at vastly different places in their understanding of what's going on in the world. You know, you've got Lucy who, I mean, her understanding of what's going on in the world is quite basic, of course. Um, she's our youngest. She's only 11 months old, and she just, she doesn't really understand anything is what I'm getting at. Um, but then you have Claire, right? And Claire's starting to figure out things in the world, and she's trying to figure out right and wrong. And, I mean, she's pretty black and white, and she'll call you a hypocrite if you're a hypocrite. Um, she's, she's wonderful. Theo, he's, he's got a kind heart, and he's also beginning to understand the world. But our oldest, Kenzie, um, is starting to ask those, those questions in life that you'd rather not be asked, right? And I know my wife has already had to, Emma, has already had to have a couple of conversations on where babies have come from, right? And, and so uh, Kenzie knows the real place that babies come from now, and she's pretty proud of it. She's so proud of it that she'll have conversations with me. I'll be putting her down to bed, and she'll say, Dad, I know where babies really come from. I know how they come out, and she'll look at me like, And Theo was saying that babies come out of mummy's bellies the other day. And so I told him. And I'm like, okay, now, now I have a bit of a problem. Because Kenzie's understanding of reality <clears throat> and being able to explain that to her five-year-old brother is not the same as my wife being able to explain that to our five-year-old son. Or myself. Oh, and what did you say to him, Kenzie? And she said... You might be right, Theo. I was like, is that all you said? She's like, mm-hmm. He's not old enough to know where babies actually come from. <laughs> now, <laughs> thank you, Kenzie. <laughs> I don't really want to be having this conversation with you right now. I, I thought I had like 20 years before we started talking about these things. You're six. But this progression of understanding is something that we have to understand in our souls is something that also begins to happen to us as we follow Jesus. I don't, I don't mean that for a lot of us it needs to take 20 years or even the course of you know, a few days, whatever the estimates might be that this man comes to a full knowledge of who Jesus is. But I do want to say that there's questions that even the disciples had around, was this caused by this man's sin or his parents' sin? And there's all these dilemmas of the Christian faith that sometimes get us caught up. And we start wondering, like, like what is it? Like, like what's going on here? And, and can, I, can I move forward in my own faith if I don't have the answers to these questions? And, and overwhelmingly, the Bible gives us evidence that not only can we progress in our faith with some questions remaining outstanding, but we can actually continue to thrive in our faith. We're not going to get all the answers about what Jesus is up to and who Jesus is in every situation unless we continue to walk with him and allow the revelation of God to continue to unfold before our eyes. Like some of us, we, we, we allow a question from a coworker or, or a question from a family member or even our own doubts to cloud our vision of where God's trying to take us. And the encouragement to us today is, listen, if your faith has no room for doubt, then you're probably not looking for faith. You're looking for certainty. Faith is being certain of the things we do not know and hopeful for those things that we don't yet understand. We have to understand that faith comes and it progresses in a Christian's life as we continue to put our faith in who Jesus is. 
This isn't something that one day just lands in your lap, but it's something that is discovered over the, over the course of life. Yes, salvation can come in a moment, but an understanding of the fullness of who God is is a lifelong process. Don't allow your questions about who God is and what he's up to in our world to, 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 to get in the way of the fact that God is very active in your life and sustaining your very breath even in the room right now. See, what I can appreciate about this man is that he doesn't try to start by answering the religious questions. Um, he, he doesn't try to match the religious questions with his own intellectual answers to the things that they're trying to discover. He doesn't, he doesn't try to match them. He doesn't, he doesn't try to meet them at their level. What does the man start with? This man who is healed physically starts with his own testimony. It can be easy to forget that, you know, in this time period, this was not a, this man was not, didn't have the benefit of Braille being on every single door or, or being able to have literature written in Braille. There was no seeing eye dogs. Like this man had no hope in his life. There's no prospects for marriage. There's no, no advantages of social status for him. In fact, he would have been living a life up until this moment. His first 38 years would have been covered in just existing and hoping that somebody might be generous and charitable towards him, but there was nothing going on in his life. And so, when the question is asked, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? His only identity, we don't get his name, we just get the identity of a man who used to sit and beg. When this question comes up, we realize that this man really had quite a, a, a shift in what has happened in his life. And this man does not try to meet the religious rulers and the leaders at the intellectual level that they wanted him to go to in answering all of these questions about Jesus. No, he says this, he replied, whether, he's speaking about Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. See, encouragement to us as followers of Jesus is we might not have all of the answers of what God is up to in our lives as people of faith, but the one story every Christian can tell to the world around us is I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know all of the answers to what's going on in our world today. I, I don't know why one family gets a lot and another family gets a little. I, I don't know why I got to be born in Canada and some people are born into abject poverty. I, I don't know. But one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. I, I don't know what you're trying to do and I, I don't know how you're trying to discredit Jesus, but what I do know is that my past used to look like this and now I look like this and, and, and I can only credit this, this, this one that they call Jesus, I, I can only credit that this one that might be a prophet. I, I can only credit that this, this individual that had to have been sent for, I can only credit the savior of the world. The reality is, is that every one of us has a story to share with the world because every one of us in some way has been impacted by a generous savior that came to give us something that we do not deserve. And so when it comes to the question that the disciples ask. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responds and he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. 
As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's an interesting question. Like, so, did, 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 so God lets, does he let bad things happen to good people just so he gets the glory? Well, I want to answer on this, and then I want to bring it back to the, applica- the practical application for our lives. Job, the book of Job, gives us some reason to believe that suffering exists in the world today, certainly due to sin entering the world. But, but on the other side of sin entering the world through original sin, we have suffering. And that suffering can be used to glorify God. That, there's, a, there's almost a riddle. There, there is something that we're still trying to dis- discover, the mystery of it all. But interestingly, for many people like myself who read out of the NIV, there's many... Um, Many scholars that believe that the NIV, um, in translating this passage, just moved the grammar to the wrong spot. And I'm not trying to reason this away. I'm just, it does actually make a lot more sense when you begin to read it in the way Jesus likely intended it. He says, listen, neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus. What many scholars believe is that there should be a period where there is a comma. And it should go on to read, that so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me. Like, we, we need to respond. What might not have caught the nuance of that, but rather than saying the reason why he's going through this is so that God might be glorified, what Jesus is actually saying is, listen, we must do some work in this man's life so that God may be glorified. And what begins to happen is that we move from a positioning of trying to figure out who to blame for what's going on in the world to a place of Jesus trying to address the world's needs with God's grace. Now, here's, here's why I want to point out this, this subtle shift in the ways in which we read these things is because often that's what we're doing as people is we're looking for who to blame for the mess that we find in the world around us. And yet Jesus is constantly trying to reframe our question about what's happening in the world around us with, listen, it's not about who do we blame. It's about God's grace is big enough to meet the human need that is all around us. And in order for God to be glorified, we need to get about the work of God in the world today. And I don't know about you, but the testimony that I have that I was once blind, but now I see is something that needs to be shared beyond me and my family and the people that already know Jesus because this is a world that is looking for people to blame but really needs the grace of God to meet them in their human need. What are we doing as Christians to pave a way, not for more blame to continue, but for the grace of God to meet people where they find themselves? We have a real opportunity, church. This whole passage is about light and darkness. An apparent physical blindness met with a real spiritual blindness. And what we know is, is that as the world gets darker and darker and we hear more and more things and we wonder, what, is it, what does it mean for Russia's leader and China's leader to get together? And what does it mean if there's going to be a depression or a global depression? Or what does it mean to go into recession? And what does it mean for groceries to go up as much as they have? And what does it mean to go to the pump and be like, why? And what does it mean to be in conflict with one another? What does it mean to not be able to post something on social media without somebody else 
taking it out of context. Who do we have to blame for this entire thing? No, it's the wrong question. How can we meet the world's need with God's grace? How can we incorporate a story of how Jesus came and descended from a highly position to a lowly position to meet with a bunch of people that need his love? And how can we spread that to a world that desperately needs to know who Jesus is? That is the question we need to be at. That is what should be consuming our minds. That is the thing we should be um, allowing our minds to stir on. Can we stand up in this place? I think I am often disturbed at the amount of time I think about the world's problems more than I think about God's solution. I am game to have hour long, like hours upon hours of conversation about what's wrong in the world. And I devote very little time to thinking about God's own solution to everything we see going on, which is the power of a sinless man, a God man, God with flesh on his own son, sending him to earth to restore people back to the relationship with him that we've always been seeking. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, the gospel is quite simple. What we couldn't do because of our own sin, Jesus was able to do. He paid a price for our sin to bring us back into relationship with our Father, the heavenly creator, so that we might actually have hope in the midst of all of the hopelessness that we see. With every eye closed, I just want to give people privacy. If you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm not going to point you out, but I just want to know who to include in a prayer here at the end. But if you're going, hey, I want to surrender my life to God. I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to chart a new course in my life. I want to, I want to move from blaming. I want, to, I want to progress in my knowledge of who God is. If that's you today, could you just raise a hand and just say, hey, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus today. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you today that, God, you are moving, that you are at work, and you're still in the business of saving us. God, we pray for those that are making this decision right now. God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would come in and provide hope in a hopeless situation, that you would provide peace where there seems to be no peace, that, Father, the reality that you came, Jesus, to, to offer your life so that we could be in relationship with you, God, I pray that that would just offer immense hope in the spirits of those making this decision today pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate? Amen. Hey, we're just about to sing a, a chorus or two, but I just want to offer a moment for all of us to pray and just to come to terms with maybe the truth of this message as we proceed um, towards Easter in this season of Lent. If you're here today, and, and maybe just the reality as as it's hit me this week in preparation that I am I'm I'm way quicker to run to blame and the problems of the world rather than allowing the reality of what God did to wash over me and to be shared out of that reality if you're like me and you're just man like I I take for granted the goodness of Jesus Christ I'm trying to get questions answered that probably won't be answered on this side of eternity rather than realizing that I have something to offer every single day to the world around me through my own testimony. I was blind, but now I see. 
that's you, can we just close ourselves in in a moment of reflection? Close our eyes, bow our heads. If that's you, maybe the cry of your heart this morning is that, God, I just need to get back to the basics of what this is all about. And before we go into worship, we just have a chance to pray about it. That's you. Can you just raise a hand? Fathers, we come here at the nearing the end of our time together this morning, just recognizing that it's so easy for all of us in the room to just get caught up with the world being the world. Forgetting that I myself have something to offer, that we ourselves as individuals have something to offer that we might not have the answers to world peace, we might not have the answers of balancing a country's budget, we might not have the answers to inflation, we might not have the answers to world and rumors of the world going to war. But God, we do have the answer of life regenerated by the Spirit of God. That I once was blind, but now I see. Father, may you give us such hope in that reality. Father, may you give us such encouragement in that reality. And God, may you begin to give us boldness to proclaim this testimony even in the face of martyrdom or persecution as this man himself was going through. God, may this become a reality that just begins to well up and spill out of us wherever we go. That our story about our God saving us would become one of the, one of the, the first things we go to tell friends and neighbors and family because of the goodness of who you are. God, give us that boldness. Give us that courage, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's worship, church. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.